0: It's episode 81 of Dot Mill Docs. It's a special Tuesday edition of the Military Health System's official podcast. Today is October 20th, 2009. I'm Russell Carlson. Thanks for downloading the show. It's going to be an interesting one, as our guest today is Air Force Colonel Peter Mapes. He's a pilot physician who works on something called aircraft mishap epidemiology. I can't wait to hear what that's all about. So, Colonel Mapes, welcome to Dot Mill Docs.
1: Pleasure to be here. Thank you.
0: Sure. So you are a pilot physician in the Air Force. Uh, How exactly does that work? Uh, How do you combine the two, and what does it have to do with aircraft mishap epidemiology?
1: Well, the pilot physician program in the Air Force is governed by Air Force Instruction 11-405, which is called the pilot physician program, Mm -hmm. and it allows a a cadre of officers to serve simultaneously as pilots and as medical doctors in the Air Force and that is because these people are needed to work in the man-machine interspace and the man-mission interspace. Physicians and personnelists in the Air Force are the two people who have the greatest understanding of people in the Air Force. Engineers, of course, have the greatest understanding of systems, and operators have the greatest understanding of the mission. Well, if you take someone who's both a doctor and an operator, that gives them credibility in two different borders of uh, or two different interfaces where the Air Force needs expertise. Uh, okay, so and in
0: your in your work, there's this thing called helicopter terrain awareness and warning systems, HTAWS, is that correct?
1: Well, That's correct. We uh, did a a number of studies. Uh, We looked at all DOD helicopter mishaps from 1985 through 2005. That was uh, 21 years of Class A and B mishaps, covered 917 mishaps and 957 lost or severely damaged helicopters. It also accounted for all 3,800 people on board those uh, aircraft. And we looked at the outcomes and we discovered that the most lethal environment for uh, helicopter mishaps, was human factor mishaps, which are uh, mishaps that occur due to an error of omission or commission on the part of the flight crew. Uh, and of those human factor mishaps, the mishaps that occurred in cruise flight, which is flight out of the hovering mode. In other words, when the helicopter is moving forward at a speed greater than 16 to 24 knots, uh, which is nautical mile per hour. Mm-hmm. Those mishaps had the highest lethality rate, and we were able to look at how the people died in those mishaps and why those mishaps occurred. And there are a number of factors that are related to them. For instance, 40 percent of the Army human factor crew's mishaps that resulted in controlled flight into terrain where they hit the ground. occurred in reduced visibility and ceiling conditions or inadvertent instrument meteorological conditions. And that generated the highest fatality rate of anything we saw. Um, So we know that we need to intervene in those mishaps, and the primary causal factor for those mishaps is distraction. The Army has excellent training programs, so does the Air Force and the Navy, but because human beings are operating these aircraft, you're never able to completely eliminate distraction. Mm. And if distraction occurs at a critical moment, it results in the death of all aboard, or at the very least an extremely bad outcome. Air Force, the crew's CFIT rate over the period we looked at was 1.25 per 100,000 flying hours. In the Army it was about 0.5 per 100,000 flying hours and that's on a par, the Army rate is on a par with what we saw in Air Force fighter aircraft. So um, we know that in order to uh, sort of interrupt the distraction or to distract the distraction in the cockpit that results in these mishaps, you need some kind of an active warning system. In fact, in fighter attack aircraft, uh, a manual warning system isn't good enough. You actually need an automatic recovery system to recover the jet, uh, and that's what the automatic ground collision avoidance system does in fighter aircraft. Helicopters, unfortunately, haven't kept up technologically with uh, fighter attack aircraft. Uh, Fighter attack aircraft, for instance, many of them have digital electronic flight controls, whereas the helicopters are still all manual control, uh, some augmented by hydraulics, but they don't have any, any real digital electronic flight controls in them uh um. Um, And so the helicopters are not amenable to automatic recovery, so the best we can do is manual warning. And uh, HTOs, which is uh, uh, a uh, technical standard order that was issued by the Federal Aviation Administration in March of 2008 as a performance specification, uh, is being recommended by the International Helicopter Safety uh, Team, IHST, and the Federal Aviation Administration as the best answer we've got out there for preventing FIT, which, oh, by the way, has eliminated 15 percent of the civil uh, helicopter emergency medical service uh, fleet in the last 10 years. Uh, about 90 aircraft of 650 uh, uh, in the fleet, uh, all due to FIT, And those helicopters are flown at night at low altitude on night vision goggles, just the way the military mission is run.
0: Now, now- in your study you mentioned that you studied a lot of different mishaps and accidents with helicopters were those all were those civilian as well as military or just military
1: Well we studied the military mishaps but the International Helicopter Safety Team has studied the civilian ones and we we compare their data with our data, it matches up percent by percent, cause by cause. Mm-hmm. Basically, what, what we learned by looking at the two data sets is there is no new way to die in a helicopter. It's all been done before and it keeps happening the same way over and over and over again. For instance, we found a one type of mishap in the Army, which is uh, unique to observation and attack helicopters, that occurred 12 mishaps occurred in identical weather conditions using identical tactics, and it only affects two different types of aircraft, the AH AH-64 and the OH-58. And in in these cases, the helicopters are flying at night, they're in the hover mode, and they're doing masking-unmasking operations at the forward line of troops in 0% illumination, which means there's overcast with no cultural lighting or there's no moon and little starlight. And in each case, the helicopter pilot lost situational awareness, drifted backwards, and got the tail rotor tang up in the trees, resulted in loss of a helicopter. Fortunately, no fatalities. But we made that same mistake a dozen times, and we still haven't done anything to fix it. And if you know if you have a new van, you have a little backup warning in the back of the van if you're going to back into a tricycle or a kid. Right. Or a, or a camera sometimes. Yeah. It goes beep, 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 beep. Well, that technology would have saved these 12 helicopters. And yet, we haven't done anything to put it in. And we're going to have the 13th mishap the same way we had the first 12 if we don't get something in there to fix it because this is something that you can't fix in the human. All human beings will become distracted at some point, lose situational awareness, and make a mistake. You can't program mistakes out of people. You have to automate uh, to uh, cover that for them when they make a mistake and uh, at least give them some warning. And so uh, you know, th- this that's just one example of the many things we found in the study that uh, is, uh, it's very clear how we need to intervene. Sure.
0: And my notes also say that while you you were studying this um, you found a difference in fatalities and injuries between the crew members and passengers Absolutely. so what is that difference
1: well the pilots up front sit in stroking seats they have four or five point restraints and uh in some case they always wear their helmets um except in marine one that carries the president around that's the only exception that i know of mm-hmm. and uh but uh the people in back Uh, in the Air Force and the Army aren't required to wear helmets all the time. Uh, And uh, in the Navy, they are. So the Navy is a good case comparison against the Army and the Air Force to look at the outcomes. We know that head injury is the leading cause of death in helicopter mishaps, specifically open skull fracture. And it is associated with lack of helmet wear. So in the Army, the fatality to major injury ratio for for head injuries is 5 to 1. But in the Navy, where uh, helmet protection is mandated for passengers, the ratio is 2.7 to 1. So the Navy has a much lower ratio of fatality to major injury than the Army does. So the Army could essentially cut their uh, uh, fatality rate by approximately 25% by mandating helmet wear. And uh, the Air Force could take a lesson from that as well. They're a much smaller service, so it's hard to get meaningful data from them. They only have 160-odd helicopters now. But, um, but the Army-Navy comparison is very valid. And the Navy has, in fact, been out in front on a lot of safety technology over the years and has had a lot of success.
0: Is there any indication that the Army and the Air Force will fall in line with the Navy's regulations on helmets?
1: that's going to depend on where they put their uh, priorities. Let me give you another example. Mm-hmm. the pilots up front have stroking seats. In back, a lot of the occupants in back of H-47s have no seats. Uh, they're sitting on the floor, and some of them are unrestrained. And you can imagine that during a mishap, those unrestrained people become flying missiles, and uh, a flying missile is not a survivable situation for a human being. As we all know from car accidents, that's why seat belts work so well. So. Uh, if If we could uh, put the people in back, in stroking seats that attenuate the uh, decelerative pulse because the survivable helicopter mishaps tend to occur in the vertical, not in cruise flight. They're coming out of hovering flight and hitting the ground. And if you're in a stroking seat, that can attenuate a fair amount of the decelerative forces and prevent your body from absorbing them. The stroking seat uh, moves vertically uh, downward to distribute the impulse over a longer period of time, and that makes the impulse less severe at its peak. So uh, if we were able to do that, we would expect that we could uh, half the major injury rate in the Army. Uh, We could also, uh, for the human factor mishaps, we could half the fatality rate for the non-human factor uh, mishaps in the Army. And in addition, uh, we could probably uh, improve uh, uninjured passenger survival by about 20 percent in both cases. Uh, In addition to that, the um, use of stroking seats overall in in the Navy, where they put them in in the mid 1990s in the H-53 Navy Marine Corps, mm-hmm. showed a 20 percent improvement in fatal outcomes, so there was 20% less fatality after they put them in, and that jives exactly with what we're seeing from the uh, unpaired Army data for the um, human factor uh, uh, mishaps. If you look at the, the uh, pilots, they are 20% less likely to sustain fatal injuries than the passengers are because they've got stroking seats, adequate restraints, and helmets. So uh, there's it's all lining up exactly, and the fact that it matches per per percent. Whether you make the intervention and compare it in one service or go from one service to compare it to another means that you can be pretty sure of what you're going to get. And uh, so I think these are improvements that we, we absolutely need to make. It's It seems to me to be uh, unfair to America's sons and daughters to throw them in the back of helicopters without adequate restraints and seats and helmets and take them into combat or even on especially on training sorties when there's definitely no excuse for doing that. When we have the technology to protect them much better than we do.
0: Sure, let's hope that they make it a priority and we'll save some lives. Exactly. Um, right now we're going to take a quick break for the Dot Mil Docs Health Beat news and information from the military health system. We'll be back in a minute with more from Colonel Mapes
2: on some of his findings in studying helicopter accidents.
0: Dot Mil Docs Health Beat.
2: In news regarding H1N1 influenza, also known as swine flu, Tricare is suspending referral and authorization requirements for Tricare Prime beneficiaries, allowing them to receive the H1N1 vaccine from any Tricare authorized provider without a referral from their primary care manager. The suspension period is expected to last from now until April 30th, 2010. The H1N1 flu vaccine is covered by TRICARE as long as it is administered in a doctor's office. H1N1 flu vaccines administered in a civilian pharmacy, drugstore, or other location are not covered by TRICARE. For more information about preparing for flu season, visit the TRICARE H1N1 Flu Resources website at www.tricare.mil. The military health system recognizes October as Women's Health Month. To all the service members, mothers, wives, daughters, and sisters, we recognize that being healthy means total health, including body, mind, and spirit. The purpose of Women's Health Month is to provide connections and resources surrounding all aspects of women's health, specifically breast cancer, pregnancy, and women's health care and theater. For more information, go to health.mil slash finally the price appears to be right for former game show host and naval aviator bob barker who donated three million dollars to help build a premier defense department center for wounded warriors suffering traumatic brain injuries the donation brings the intrepid fallen heroes fund to its 60 million dollar goal to build the national intrepid center of excellence the 72,000-square-foot, two-story facility is expected to open next year, adjacent to the new Walter Reed National Military Medical Center in Bethesda, Maryland. Barker, who's best known as the longtime host of the Price is Right game show, called his donation a way to give back to those who serve or have served in the military. And that's your Dot .mil docs health beat for the military health system. I'm Matt Beto.
0: We are back on Dot Mill Docs with Colonel Pete Mapes, who works on aircraft mishap epidemiology. Um, Now, Colonel Mapes, I have it here that you recognized adverse weather as a significant factor in worsening helicopter fatality rates. So what do we do about that?
1: It's, it's interesting. First of all, let me give you some background. Sure. Looking, looking in the Army data and the Navy data, we see that the rate of controlled flight into terrain uh, has a subset of about 40% of those mishaps that are related to adverse weather. Uh, and that's when they actually hit the ground. So, and those have the, the highest fatality rate of any type of helicopter mishap, uh, with the exception of main rotor blade failure. So aside from losing the blades that hold you up in the sky, uh, hitting the ground in the weather gives you the worst outcome for fatalities. So that's the subset that we're talking about. Now, um we don't have a global solution for this, but we have something that we think will help. Most uh, civilian aircraft now have a little box in them, or a lot of them do. Cost less than $3,000, and it's got an antenna that looks up at the sky. And uh, a company named called XM Weather has uh, um, put two satellites up that are continually beaming current weather data down out of uh, geosynchronous orbit. <laughs> One of them is located off the west coast of America, and one of them is located just uh, over the east coast, and they cover an area that goes from Western Europe all the way around to uh, northeastern Siberia. It covers all of North America, all of Western Europe, and all of Central America. And they have uh, the uh, radar precipitation picture for the area, the uh, surface observations uh, at the different reporting stations so you know if it's VFR or IFR and if it's changing, and they Forecasts in there, uh, the 12-24 uh, hour forecasts so it can be downloaded any time, um, and this service costs about a dollar per day per aircraft.
0: What is VFR IFR?
1: Well, VFR stands for Visual Flight Rules, and those are the rules that we follow when the uh, weather is clear out. When you're not flying in the clouds, IFR stands for Instrument Flight Rules, and those are the rules that we follow when we're flying in the clouds or in reduced visibility and ceiling conditions. The uh, other terms that you may hear me use are VMC, which stands for Visual Meteorological Conditions; those are clear conditions, and IMC, which stands for Instrument Meteorological Conditions. That's when you're actually flying in the weather.
0: Uh, And so is this satellite weather uh, service, I guess, is it offering the military real value in preventing these accidents, or could it?
1: It is. In the non-human factor mishaps for the Army, we have 20 cruise mishaps in 21 years, basically one a year, where the uh, pilot had a weather forecast that was adequate for his operations or her operations. They took off, and as you know, the Army flies at very low altitude to avoid detection from uh, radar missiles, and, uh, and it also decreases the amount of time that someone who's on the ground can shoot at you, and this is called nap-of-the-earth flight, and the, the good thing about Nap of the Earth is it helps keep you alive in combat. The bad thing is that you can't climb up and get an update on your weather information because you can't get line of sight with a radio station that you can talk to that has the weather information. So, at least in, in the Western Hemisphere. Um, if they had satellite weather installed, they wouldn't have to climb up. The weather information would be displayed for them all the time on their multifunction display. And if they didn't have a multifunction display, they had a legacy aircraft, and then it could be displayed on a helicopter terrain awareness warning set uh, or an HTAWS. So uh, either display can host the satellite weather information, and uh, that it's just so inexpensive. There's no reason not to do it.
0: So we just might as well put it in... Our- every one of them.
1: And in fact, the Navy has gone online and saying that HTAWS, or uh, Train and Obstruction Warning, and Satellite Weather, are their two highest priorities for upgrading their helicopter fleet. This just came out on the 1st of July in a statement of urgent universal need. Um, they're having some trouble working the contracting piece to get the uh, Satellite Weather Service right now, but they actually went out and spent three quarters of a million dollars buying uh, temporary units that they are handheld that they can put in their helicopters that give them some capability until they can do the uh, development for a panel-mounted unit that's IFR certified.
0: Okay, so they're working on it. Now, you also found that military, and correct me if I'm wrong, but the military mid-air collisions were an issue with helicopters. What what do you mean by that? Sure
1: did. Well, for instance, in the Navy, in our 21-year study, there are almost 50 people who died as a result of mid-air collisions. And the bad thing about mid-air collisions is you lose two helicopters, not just one. So it's uh, double indemnity. So it's the second leading cause of death in helicopters, and it's the third leading cause of loss of aircraft. Uh, The first leading cause of loss of aircraft is degraded visual environment hover, that's commonly called whiteout or Mm brownout, and uh, that doesn't usually kill people. There are very few deaths and injuries in whiteout, brownout, because the helicopter is not going anywhere very fast. It's just hovering, and it's usually close to the ground because it has to be close to the ground to kick up the dust cloud. Mm -hmm. But... the ones that cause fatalities are the cruise sea fits and the mid-airs. For instance, the only Air Force mid-air that we had uh, between two helicopters killed all 12 people on board. Just one fell swoop, one second, and they're all gone. Uh, so we know that this is a big problem. 48 in the Navy, 12 in the Air Force, and a, a goodly number in the Army as well. And. Uh, in the civilian uh, practice in aviation, there's a uh, technology out there called TCAS. It's a um, traffic collision avoidance system, and TCAS has been used on airliners. Uh, it uh, interrogates the transponders, those are the radar beacons on board aircraft, and it has a directional antenna, so it can tell you the range and distance to any aircraft that's within uh, line of sight, and then the aircraft are reporting electronically their own altitude, and it reads the altitude, and it makes it measures the altitude that the aircraft you're in is at, and it compares the two, and it it shows you the difference. So you get a good three-dimensional picture of where the other aircraft are. Well, our current military helicopters don't have this capability. In fact, it's fairly recently, just since 2003, been put required in airliners. Uh, But because technology develops so rapidly, there's now a version of this called a TCAD, Traffic Collision Avoidance Device. Mm -hmm. Unlike TCAS, TCAD doesn't provide resolution advisories, but it does show you where all the traffic is. So, and that's the big thing is just knowing the traffic's out there. And this TCAD technology is now being produced for less than eight thousand dollars a shipset, MSRP of less than ten thousand dollars a shipset. So it's dirt cheap. And if you don't have a multifunction display, this too can be displayed on the display that comes with the HTOS, because they're all compatible technologies. So you don't have to add multiple displays. You can fit all of these displays into a single display, and if you don't have an MFD, it can go into the HTAS.
0: And so that's your recommendation for reducing or eliminating altogether these mid-air collisions?
1: Oh, absolutely. It's all about distraction and situational awareness. If you lose situational awareness and get distracted, something bad is going to happen, and people do that. There's no way to completely eliminate distraction and loss of situational awareness. So what you need to do is you need to give pilots the tools that they can use to maintain their situational awareness with terrain, weather, and traffic to prevent those lethal mishaps that are uh, crippling our military forces in peace time and in combat, because our combat losses show that these same problems are issues in combat just like they are in peacetime. So it doesn't matter whether the enemy is shooting at you or not, you still have the same basic problems.
0: And that ties it all back to what you're saying, is this is human error, this is distraction, and, and that's right where we started.
1: That's exactly right.
0: Well, Colonel Mapes, you are helping to save lives here, and it's interesting, and it's, it's, really, it's really reassuring that the military is involved in this kind of safety research, um, we're up on time, so I want to thank you for coming on the show and bringing more awareness to your work.
1: Uh, it's my sincere pleasure, and thank you very much for giving us this opportunity to uh, put the word out. Uh, a lot of our research is hosted publicly on the American Helicopter International website. You can look at it if you go to that's org.
0: Great. Thanks for the link. We'll be sure to uh, call that out on health.mil into the future. Thanks once again for coming on the show.
1: My pleasure. Thank you very much.
0: And that does it for us today on Dot Mill Docs. Don't forget that October 30th marks the deadline to submit nominations for the Building Stronger Female Physicians in the MHS Award. Listen to Dot Mill Docs episode 78 for more information about that award, and you can get the nomination form at health.mil/slash people. And while I'm talking about awards, the MHS has established an external awards committee to identify and nominate outstanding employees of the MHS for external recognition. You can read about upcoming nomination opportunities at health.mil slash awards. And we'll be back on Thursday when we talk to Dr. Sarah Page of Brook Army Medical Center about prenatal care in the DOD, because this is Women's Health Month. Visit health.mil slash women's health for more info on that. Good day, and may the good news be yours. Thanks for listening.
2: This program is a product of the Office of the Assistant Secretary of Defense for Health Affairs Military Health System. Dot Mill Docs features the most relevant military health topics important to you and your family. If you have questions or topics you'd like to see on an upcoming episode, send us an email at dotmildocs at tma.osd.mil. That's D-O-T-M-I-L-D-O-C-S at tma.osd.mil. Visit health.mil for more episodes.